Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. That'll be a lesson to the great Thurl Bailey, Mark Eaton, Adrian Dantley, Dance. Stockton and Malone. Yeah. We'll come to your house, we'll eat your food, and we'll beat you in the basketball court. For the eighth consecutive game, the Knicks continue the streak of loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. <clears throat> the ups and downs got of a long NBA season, but a statement game against a powerhouse in the Utah Jazz. Win's a win, baby. Who at some point are going to realize that they're supposed to be tanking. But <clears throat> big one in the world last night for the Knicks. The great Jalen Brunson going for 25 last night. And Cam, the man, Reddish, going for 19. Yeah. And the good news is I knew all but one Nick who played last night. Hey, that's some progress. Yeah. Or it just means you're getting used to them. No, well, Jericho Sims is the one guy, but I know who Jericho Sims is. Anyway, uh, happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Beat of Sports. I'm Mark Daniels. That's Scott Harris over there. What's going on? What's new? What's you up? You know, yesterday the Earth apparently hit 8 billion in population. I saw that, yeah. What's your thoughts? This explains why the traffic's so bad in the morning. Hmm. Uh, you didn't see it live. Did you see the highlights of the rocket launch? I did, yeah. Okay, here's an example. Okay, put everything of our differences aside. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. That thing was massive. That thing is huge. Pretty cool. Nighttime launch. Mm-hmm. See some of the pictures UCF put out? I did. Yeah. Can I just say something, oh, though? Oh, boy, you're not going to criticize them, are you? I'm not criticizing them. If you're a person that is using just your cell phone, mm-hmm. you can't see anything in your picture. I'm sorry. Well, you're not. I mean, you don't get to zoom in as much. But there's some. I mean, I saw some stuff. Uh, look, I would have done that. Like I saw uh, Satya Messer, the new women's basketball mm-hmm. coach. They came back from a game at Campbell, mm-hmm. and she's on the top of that garage. And you know, pretty cool to see that fireball. Lift yeah, up. I would have done that. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. It, kidding? It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So. Uh, more more interest in space is I'm all on board with. Yeah, so that was kind of neat. Um, can I interest you in this Las Vegas package for next year's F1 race? F1 race. Yeah, what do you got? Okay, for just a million dollars. Okay, you can stay at uh, Win Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and you get three nights in the 5829 square foot three bedroom duplex with two story windows billiards tables dining and fitness rooms okay um vip access to the paddock club and all the race uh, events that week yeah it just says tickets to a show uh-huh 
that's kind of left out there. Like, which show? It's Vegas. You know it's going like, to be a good I'm show. I'm spending a million bucks. I need Katy Perry knocking on the door, coming in, doing a personal concert for my group, okay? Um, I'm not going to, you know, Magic Mime. <laughs> That's Circus Circus, okay? I need Adele yelling at me. Uh, dinner for six, spa treatments, and rounds of golf. Rounds? Is that like two? One and a or half. like 12? Half a round? Caviar? Champagne? And they'll make a $100,000 donation to a local charity for each package purchased. Of my choice, or they're just going to choose well, the charity? I guess the question is, am I making it? Because I get the tax benefit. If you're making it, I don't get that one. But, uh, yeah, for a million bucks. Done. Done. Wow. There you go. Let me cash out some of my uh, Doge, and then I'll <sighs> buy in. Anyway. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing really good, yeah. Okay. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, now I was going to tell you something. I'll save it for later. Got a great movie Wednesday coming up. You do? Yeah. Okay. We're celebrating Vin Diesel today. Oh, wow. Not his birthday or anything. Just celebrating it. Well, because you brought up his movie career uh, the other it, day. Well, I just said, whatever was his best movie ever. Um, on our program uh, today, Keith Smith will join us, his weekly NBA visit. Why are the Magic losing to teams they should beat? We'll, we'll grill Keith to give us an answer. <laughs> um, Andrew Adelson, uh, one of our best college football writers and reporters, uh, is going to join us. She's speaking at the Orlando Touchdown Club next week. And uh, we'll talk to her in advance of uh, that and a lot of college football news. The college football playoff rankings are out. A little bit more on that coming up in a little bit. So we'll talk to Andrea about 10.35. Um, Declan Hill will join us at about 11.35 in the program today, the eve, not the night before, but before the start of the World Cup in a few days. Um, One of the industry, world's best investigative reporters when it comes to things like uh, the bribery, dirty, under-the-table, slimy world of the IOC and FIFA. And uh, match-fixing, he's broken many stories over the years, and he's going to join. He's been a guest on our show before, that while you celebrate the world's biggest sporting event, people like him would tell you it's also the dirtiest event (laughs) that could ever take place. So he's coming up a little bit uh, later on in the program, and like Scott said, we have a movie Wednesday uh, coming uh, your way. Last night, and I'm going to get to the college football playoff rankings in a moment, so they do this, Scott, every year there's that one Monday night, where they have the college basketball doubleheader. Or it's Tuesday. Or Tuesday. And uh, it's, hey, the first game, then the college football playoff rankings, and then the second game. The first game always ends up being the longest college well, basketball game. it was double game. overtime last night. But, but even still. Kentucky and Michigan State go double overtime. Mm-hmm. And to watch Twitter, it is kind of funny. Oh my God! Another overtime. Why don't they just go to the football and and then you got the people pushing back by going. So what? We already know where the team's going to be ranked and like in that voice. Mm-hmm. And then Herb Street dropping a little ding at basketball. Like I thought we we're going to get another overtime in the game. And yeah, so that was uh, as expected because every every year that they've done this, the first game goes longer than they anticipate, uh, and then the. The, the, the Duke-Kansas game tipped off like 10.30 
last night. I had a bail. It was, I, I mean, I saw Kansas won, but I had a bail. It was too late for me. Got to get to bed. I'm old. Decide to watch, like, Commando or something instead? Uh, no, I was watching the game, and I just said, I don't want you. It was, it was 11.50, and I was like, I don't, I, I don't want to stay up, so I, um, I went to bed. But what did I watch when I was working out yesterday? I watched an, um, what, what, what old, uh, oh, um. Cobra. No, but, uh, uh, Rambo. Oh. Rambo 2. Okay. Was on one of the many movie channels I have. Again, feels great scenes. There's 50 bad guys that have a chance to take him out with high-powered weapons, and they shoot one at a time. He's got, he's got a stick. And he just jumps in the middle where anybody can see him. And they wait as he then goes left to right and takes everybody out. Where if mm-hmm. they just shoot it once, the movie's over. Yeah. But it's like, hang on. Then there was a knife scene, Scott, mm-hmm. where there's three guys, right? And the third guy waits for the first two guys to die. <laughs> and then he decides, I'll take my chances. Three on one, he's got a better chance. He waits for the first two guys mm-hmm. and then realizes, bad decision. You know? Bad decision. At some point, don't the three like, okay, if we go three on one, we got a better chance. But if the third, we team up. But the third guy's like, let me wait and see what happens here. Maybe the first two guys get the job done. And when they don't get the job done, guess what? Now it's one on one. Like, did they ever practice? Like, all right. I don't know. You just want to go, what, what, what are you thinking here? I mean, three on one is a much better chance. Like, why are you waiting? Yeah. You have the same weapon he has. If you go all in right now, there's a better chance. He waited. And he paid the ultimate price, Scott. There you go. <sighs> anyway, no spin class this morning? No. All right. No, I thought about it, but uh, I'm going to go tomorrow, and then I'm going to go Friday, and there's a turkey trot on Sunday. Yeah, there is this weekend. That I might be participating really? in as well. Wow. Yeah. Have you done one of these? N- no. Okay. You know the only time I've run. That was for the Orlando City Purple Pride 5K this year. Okay. That's so, the only time I've right. ever run. Did you run the whole thing? Or the did 5K? you kind of do the walk, jog, run thing? No, I ran the entire thing. I actually, I told you, I had a great time for that. Okay, so then you can handle the uh, the course. The, well, no, no, no. This is through my spin place. Okay. But it's a, it's a mile. Run, walk, okay. meander. All right. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, the uh, Magic will try to find themselves back on the wind track. When are the boys back in action, Scott? Tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. <sighs> Kevin Garnett, Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell. Wow. Look at that. Uh, coverage begins at 6.30. Tip set for 7 o'clock. Yep. We've got it right here. Yes. Um, tomorrow night will be UCF Night Talk with Gus Malzahn, a couple of players. Don't forget, 9 a.m. for the pregame on Saturday. Kickoff at 11 when UCF takes on uh, Navy. Uh, th- uh, 34 minutes. That was my 5K time. It's, it's great. Yeah. Good for you. Didn't practice or anything. Just let's jump in. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, got a column up at 96onthegame.com. I hope you'll click on and read. I'm going to get to a little bit of the column and connect it to a story today in college football so uh hang around we're here with you all wednesday at least until noon for us it's the beat of sports
The Beat of Sports. We're brought to you by good friends at Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford. Black Friday is now at Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford. 50% off manufacturer's suggested retail markup. One location, 2,000 vehicles available. Visit or shop Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford.com. Your complete satisfaction is our commitment. Greenway, the only way. Are that rat? It was. Wow. How about that? What's not to like about the holiday season and brat? Let's go. Let's do this. You know what I'm saying? What is not to like about that? Um, if you go to 96inthegame.com, you'll find on that main page, you can click on uh, the column that I have for today, um, which I think is kind of interesting, and I'm going to kind of connect it to a little bit about the college football playoff. Um, I wrote about... The 1960 college football season, okay? And um, the reason why is that things change. Uh, We adapt, and yet in some ways they kind of stay the same. We evolve. I use that a lot in sports. And here we are as this college football season winds down. We got two weeks left of the regular season, and then we have – conference championship games, and then we'll have the decision about what four teams are going to play in the college football playoff. And there's a number of scenarios, and the reality is we like chaos. Like last night, there was little drama in the release of the rankings. For one, they don't really matter until the final rankings come out the day after the championship games. If you're sitting at a certain number today, so what? Someone has to lose in Michigan and Ohio State. Um. You know, one thing that kind of bothers me, I I know why people do it, but you might see people, you know, if you follow certain college football media people, they'll put out, here's what a 12-team playoff would look like. And it's got LSU 7, and you're like, well, well, wait a minute. You got Georgia 1 and LSU 7. They play in the SEC title game. Someone's going to win that game. Someone's not going to be ranked where they're ranked. So telling me that LSU is seventh, if Georgia beats LSU, LSU's probably not making a 12-team platform. Maybe they are, but um, they wouldn't be seventh. Or, or, or some people post and go, yeah, here it is with Michigan and Ohio State two and three. No, they're going to play. Someone's not going to be ranked second or third. Anyway, um, we're going to have fun debates in the next couple of years when the playoff expands to 12. There'll be no shortage of media people and fans that will say this is ridiculous. We're evaluating three lost teams and, um, uh, you know, it's watered down and all that stuff. But debates like that have happened for years and years in college football. Um, I'll get to last night's numbers in a second or the rankings. But the reason why I wrote about 1960 is imagine if such a system still existed uh, today. In 1959, Syracuse went undefeated. They were the only unbeaten team in college football. They finished 11 and they beat Texas in the Cotton Bowl. And um, they were national champs. But before they touched down in Dallas to play in the Cotton Bowl, they'd already been crowned the national champions. Huh? What? Correct. Uh, they finished the regular season 10-0, and and were crowned national champions before playing in the bowl game in Dallas against Texas and winning. And they were already the national champs. Yes. Back then, 
The final polls of the college football season, and back then it was the Associated Press and the UPI, United Press International, that voted. And they did their final poll at the end of the regular season. They thought, this is then, this is the mindset of the people involved in some form of running college football and then the media outlets had covered, that the idea of waiting till after the bowl games to have a poll didn't make any sense to them back then. Now you're like, huh? Back then, their position was bowl games are for fun. You play a season and we'll reward you for the season, but a bowl game, go have fun and play an extra game. And that wasn't odd. (laughs) That's how everybody viewed it then. Hey, you had a great year. Now you're going to go play in the Rose Bowl, the Cotton, the Orange Bowl. Go play for fun. Not the teams didn't try, but the perception was this isn't a major bowl game that, you know, if a team loses, it should impact what they did in the regular season. If you finish the regular season as they did in 1959, Syracuse undefeated, you're the only undefeated season, you're number one. You win the national title. And that's what they did. Back in 1959, the AP poll had 201 voters. 201 voters. Uh, Today, we would say, that seems like uh, a lot. And the AP poll has 63 voters. In 1960... Syracuse began the year as the preseason number one. By the way, that year that they were the only undefeated team in 1959, they didn't get all 201 first-place votes. They got 134 first-place votes. If you think that there's voting bias today where certain individuals in the South that at times seemed like a propaganda machine for the SEC, uh, it was worse back then. Syracuse got 134 first-place votes. Uh, and seven first-place votes. Uh, I'm sorry, seven teams got first-place votes. Wisconsin went seven and two. They got five first-place votes. Alabama went seven, one, and two, and they got five first-place votes. So in 1960, Syracuse starts here as a preseason number one. Scott will love this. By the way, one of the big news in 1960, Oklahoma State joined the Missouri Valley Independent Athletic Association, not the Missouri Valley Conference. It'll be the Missouri Valley Independent Athletic Association. They became the eighth school of that independent association, and the media in that area of the country started calling them the Big Eight. Oh, that's where that came from. The media started calling them. Anyway, Syracuse is preseason number one. And back then, ready for this, back then there was a preseason poll the week before the start of the regular season, which then, by the way, did not start until the second or third week of September. No week zero, Scott. Oh, boo. No week zero. But there was no poll after the first and second week. Oh, it's like the college football playoffs. You were preseason poll, and then we didn't do rankings until after the third week of the college football season. Imagine what the world, the college football world would be like if that was still the case. Exactly. Part of my point. So Syracuse drops their third game of the year, and they drop from the top spot to fourth. Minnesota, 
the Golden Gophers. They get off to a 7-0 start, and they're ranked number one. The next week, they lose to Purdue, who was unranked, and they drop from 1-4. to four. Two weeks later, they beat Wisconsin. And that week, Missouri was number one. They lost their game. Second rank, Iowa, and third rank, Old Miss. Okay? Also lost, and Minnesota gets back to number one. The following week, which is the last week of the regular season, Minnesota, Iowa, Old Miss all win their games. Okay? Old Miss finishes the regular season 9-0-1. They tied LSU earlier in the year. Uh, that was a great Old Miss team. They gave up 60 points the entire year in 10 games. Imagine this, Scott, today. Back then, you could split your vote. What? You were allowed to go Habsies. No. So you could vote. <laughs> yes. No. You could vote and say, I give half a point to this team and half a point to that team. No, no, this, no, you got to jump all in or not. Imagine if you could split a vote uh, today. The final regular season poll comes out in 1960. And quickly, 10 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJR HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mark Daniels, Savita Sports. The final regular season poll, Minnesota got 17 and a half first place votes. Oh Old Miss got 16, Iowa got 12 and a half votes. This is first place. Minnesota is recognized as the AP and also the UPI had in their poll had them national champs. Both polls again come out after the regular season ends. Fast forward to January second, nineteen sixty one. Here's the major bowls of the nineteen sixty season. January second, nineteen sixty one. Is the NFL played on Sunday, January first? Minnesota loses to number six Washington in the Rose Bowl. Minnesota's number one. They've been voted the AP and the UPI national champion, and they lose to six-ranked Washington in the Rose Bowl. Number two, Old Miss beats unranked Rice 14-6 in the Sugar Bowl. What about number three, Iowa? What do they do in their bowl game? They're still waiting. Why? Because back then, remember we brought this up on the show before, back then, the Big Ten did not like two things. Ready for this? The commercialization of bowl games. And believed that academics should be stressed in the month of December and therefore allowed only one team to play in a bowl game. If you won the Big Ten and went to the Rose Bowl, that was it. So Iowa's ranked third. They didn't play in a bowl game. Their season ended after the regular season. Number five, Missouri beat fourth-ranked Navy 21-14 in the Orange Bowl. So despite Minnesota losing... And Old Miss winning, number one, lost number two, won. There was no poll after the bowl games. And to this day, Minnesota is still recognized as the national champions of college football in 1960, despite having two losses and losing their last game. And the number two team, Old Miss, won their last game. Went 10-0-1 and not recognized by the two major polls in college football. Well, in 1960, there was outrage. And the Football Writers Association of America voted Ole Miss their national champions. But this is the one that Scott will love. The Helms Athletic Foundation, Scott, Mm -hmm. said that Washington was the national champs. They just decide. The Helms Athletic Foundation. A couple things. There was no foundation. Mm -hmm. 
And two guys, Bill Schroeder and Paul Helms, ran a bakery in Southern California. Hey! But they put out All-American teams in college football and basketball, and they crowned national champions, and guess what? The media lapped it up, particularly West Coast media, who felt back then, 1960, there's an East Coast bias. Where have you heard that in the last 25 years or so? Uh, a lot. There's an East Coast bias. So West Coast media gave it attention, and the Helms Foundation crowned Washington uh, the national champions. But the NCAA recognizes Minnesota as a national champion, and Old Miss is the Football Riders Association national champion. Missouri, Missouri also got a Writers Award of a different group, and they're recognized. That's the craziness of what it was. Can you imagine if that happened today in college football? Oh, my God. So things change. Obviously, we evolve, and yet in some way things stay the same. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we're going to get a 12-team playoff. We'll love it, right? Woo, 12 teams. Mm-hmm. The AP poll will have no role in deciding who plays in the college football playoff other than influencing committee members by looking at the AP poll. But remember this. Despite the crazy voting of the 1950s and 60s and splitting a vote and all that stuff, you're still going to have people sitting on a committee that are going to decide six at-large teams that are going to make a 12-team playoff. And the debate about where a team should be ranked and all this are going to come into play. And that's the best system we have. We look back on 1960 and go, who thought that was a good idea? Who thought polls before the bowl games were a good idea? Why would anybody think that was a smart thing to do? And probably maybe 20 years from now, people are going to go, so you guys had people voting on who should make your 12-team playoff. Maybe it'll be more than 20 years, but there's still that element of individuals deciding who gets to play in a playoff game uh, or not. So that brings us to last night. Uh, Last night, there was no drama at all. One, it doesn't really matter until the final rankings, but we're college football fans, and it ended up being what people thought, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee, um, LSU, USC, and most people feel like that's about as far as you're going to go. Clemson, I guess, to some degree, might have an argument about still being in the mix um, at number 9. UCF was at 20. Some upset because they saw Florida State jump them. And I said to Mike earlier, as a fan, of course I want to see UCF be ranked as high as possible. But if I'm going to preach, as I've said in years past, and even more so this year, I'm glad the committee appears to be using the data that they have the ability to use. Um, The sport analytic programs that pull up things like meaningful drives, meaning if you're up 35 nothing in the fourth quarter and you put together an 85-yard drive, it's thrown out. I mean, the game's over. Um, what you do on the road, certain uh, you know, third-down conversions, quality of opponent, all that stuff is at their fingertips. And in, in speaking to people the last few years that have either done the mock media session 
or committee members. And I, I've said before, I've had the good fortune of asking Terry Mahajer, the UCF AD who sat on that committee, a lot of questions about the process. And I've learned that that data, not by everybody, but by some, really comes into play. And that's good. So if I think there's value in that, then listen, you can make the case because a number of Florida State's key categories are top 15. I mean, they, 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 I mean, you can go, hey, they lost three games in a row. Yeah, I know that, but you want that data to help in evaluating a team. And they've got a lot of things going for them that would say, hey, they're top 15, top 15 in this, or they're 19th in that, UCF is 27th in that. Um, it's not that UCF isn't ahead of FSU and a few of the key points there, but the Seminoles aren't a lot, and that's fine. And, and if you're UCF, you want to be ranked as high as you can, but nothing changes as far as what's in front of you. You know, uh, Florida State will not play for a conference championship. UCF has a chance to play. Uh, FSU could, but not likely get to a major bowl game. UCF can. So um, that's fine. Don't don't get bent out of whack. Um, the part about brands, there's no question about it. There's a... a there's a brand limit if you're not in a major league. And UCF fans have experienced that. And and yet, this year, right now, there are three teams of the American that have two losses that are in the top 25 of the playoff committee. That wasn't the case a few years ago. So I do think they've evolved in some ways. But in the end, it still is brand protection. Natural human reaction of, oh, you know, that team's got to be better. So... Again, last night's rankings are fun if you're a fan. Nothing significant out of it. Um, and on we go to this week's games. And three more rankings, with the last one being the only one that really matters. Uh, Andre Adelson, the great ESPN writer and college football uh, reporter, in about 25 minutes. But up next, Keith Smith breaks down some NBA news for us. Next. The Beta Sports were brought to you by Seminole Power Sports, number one in fast fun. Ryan on Road and Sanford, Highway 441 in Eustis, online at SeminolePowerSports.com. Talk a little basketball. Keith Smith, uh, who's on Twitter, Keith Smith NBA, is kind to join us as he does uh, Wednesdays at this time. His works at Spot Rack, Celtic Blog, Front Office Show, and many other places. You get the links when you get them on Twitter. Good morning, Keith. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Um, look, I know that the Magic uh, did not have Paolo Boncaro, and uh, he might be their best player right now. But nonetheless, a few people scratch, not more, uh, not a few, a lot of people scratch that about a, a game like Charlotte. They had eight-game losing streak, nothing going right for them. Come in and somewhat handle the Magic. And I guess the sense is, when do you feel as if an organization like that turns the corner? Not that you won't have off nights, but losing some games you shouldn't lose. They beat the Mavs, they beat the Suns, who are injury-ridden as well, but those are big wins, and then a stinker against Charlotte. Why does that happen? Yeah, and it's it's hard, because the why is the Magic, they're just not a good team yet. They're not ready to be a good team yet, so then they're going to continue to uh, you know, lose games like this, and, and you'll know that they've kind of turned the corner when they start Winning the games you're supposed to win. Uh, there's a kind of old adage in the NBA of, you know, win the games you're supposed to win, take care of most of your home games, and then the rest of it, you know, steal a couple more, and, and you're probably right about 
uh, where you need to be to be a playoff team. And in Orlando's pretty far from that right now. I think it's also it's starting to catch up with them not having any guards except for Jalen Suggs available. I think you know Wendell Carter Jr., Franz Wagner, Paul Bancaro when he's played have done a good job with a lot of the playmaking duties. And I think Suggs is doing quite well also. But they, they've got to get another couple guys on the floor, just, just organizers, guys who can get guys in the right spot, uh, make sure the sets are being run the way they're supposed to be run. And then if everything's defended well, still create something out of nothing. And that's where they're really struggling right now. Um, I Look, I think it's uh, an evolution in the NBA in recent years. I can't say for certain. I remember 10 years ago, it seemed like teams were more open about expected time of somebody being out to come back. I know there's some criticism about the Magic, but I think it's common in the NBA. Teams never want to give specific numbers because then you're held accountable if somebody doesn't come back. But I know it's like, hey, so-and-so's out. Well, when's he coming back? And no one ever says anything. Um, Is that a growing trend now across the NBA that was not as bad, say, 10 years ago? Yeah, it it definitely is. It is very, very different. And and, and you're absolutely right. We used to get you know, timelines put on injuries all the time. And, and I think what happened is exactly what you called out is if for some reason a player was held up on that return, the, the teams were tired of, hey, you said it was going to be six weeks and it's been seven. Why is he not back? And, and those kind of things. So I think what teams have started to do is for themselves and as well as for the players is let's just not put a timeline on it. Well, let's leave it pretty vague. And then that way, if anything happens or circumstances change and we don't feel like we need to bring this player back uh, right away and those kind of things. We, we can just kind of keep things moving without having to go in that direction. But it, it definitely adds to that frustration because I think sometimes for fans it sets an expectation of, yeah, it, it's all very vague and loose versus, hey, put on your calendar, you know, or, or feel good about buying tickets in, you know, January or something, knowing, you know, a player that may, may be there that you really want to see. So it is definitely a situation that is, uh, you know, newer to the NBA and it is a little bit difficult to deal with. Um, explain Denver, I mean, explain Portland, although Utah lost the Knicks last night, and even though they're 6-8 and eight, Oklahoma City, I thought everyone was tanking. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I always have to remind people that players and coaches don't tank. Organizations may tank. Um, that, that, that is, you know, a thing that, that is definitely true. Um, but usually that's not a thing that starts until we're around the holidays. Everybody gives it a pretty good effort because the last thing you want to do is come in day one of the season and set the expectation of, yeah, we're not really trying and we're, we're not playing hard at all because what that does is for a lot of times there's a belief that then the fans are going to say, what am I, why am I even going to come or watch? I'll, I'll just tune in next year when you have the you know, new shiny number one pick and those kind of things. So it, it's tough. Right out of the gate, teams rarely you know, will tank. But what we are seeing is already is teams are kind of positioning themselves with, well, we're going to sit a player out or you know, we're, we're going to take a you know, week-long injury and you know, we'll be cautious and we're going to give it two weeks. We are already starting to see some of that and some of that positioning. But a handful of teams got off to good start and they're not willing to give those up just yet. Um, I know they lost the last time out, but Oklahoma City, 122, 145, 132, 132? What's going on? Yeah, they get up and down the floor. They, they really play a pretty fast-paced game. They, they, they themselves don't necessarily play a lot of defense. And if you talk to coaches, they'll tell you one of the hardest things to do is not get 
sucked into a back and forth, up and down, run up and down the floor game. It's it's just really hard. And a lot of times, uh, the you know, coaches will tell you it's as simple as players like to play that way. It feels you know freeing. It's fun to to get up and down the floor. But that's what Oklahoma City. You know they want to play. They want to play fast. They play a lot of small perimeter based lineups where the idea is. Let's really space this floor and let's get out. But yeah, and, and then you've got Shea Gilgis Alexander playing at a whole new level for himself. He, he's been unbelievable uh, to open this season. And then you've got a handful of other guys who are starting to step up for them. Now it's a fun young team, and they're building something there in Oklahoma City. Well, we'll see if you know this next season with Chet Holmgren back healthy becomes that kind of step forward year that they've been looking to have. Um, I watch my beloved Knicks keep the streak of lose win lose win, uh, but but it's a good one for them against Utah. And I saw you put out a tweet this morning, and I'm noticing last night Evan Fournier is done, uh, and, and Tom Thibodeau even recognized that. And I think you sent a tweet. He's ideal to be traded. Um, what is his value? Because clearly he's done with the Knicks, and, and and I mean the Knicks can be bad with him, bad without him. So what's next for Fournier? Is there a market there? Yeah, right now, today, in you know the middle of November, they may they may not be. But by the time we get to the trade deadline, there's definitely going to be teams that are looking for a wing that can come in, kind of handle the ball a little bit, can definitely score, uh, can shoot, and, and Fournier can still do that. It's it, it's a little tough for me that he's lost his role in, in New York because I don't know that he was any of the problem that that was happening. It just, he wasn't a great fit alongside some of the other guys in that uh, lineup that they had. And they wanted to find out what they had in Cam Reddish. And to Reddish's credit, he stepped forward and played quite well. So I think with Fournier, what you'll see is come trade deadline, they're not going to get a great return for, for him at this point. But if they can get a couple second rounders, similar to what the magic thought for him. I think that there is that potential that a team may say, hey, all right, we'll, we'll do that, knowing all right, there's an extra year on this contract, and it is a team option. We'd have control of that anyway. So, yeah, but we can make it work with him and bring him in. And get um, Desmond Baines out a couple of weeks in Memphis. At, uh, again, it's a few weeks, but concern for them? Yeah, that's a big loss for them. Um, I don't know if people tune in to the Grizzlies much beyond the John Morant highlights, but Desmond Bain basically was averaging 25-5-5 this season. He's taking a massive step forward as a playmaker for others. He really is running a lot of the offense uh, through him at times. He also uh, sets up his off-the-dribble game in a big, big way, still defending at a high level, and obviously still shooting the ball in scoring the ball quite well. So that's a big loss. And it's tough because they just got Jaron Jackson Jr. back. So you're starting to see, all right, their ideal starting five is back. They're mostly whole. They're missing a couple guys. But maybe we're going to start to see what the Grizzlies look like. And I've been saying, you know, since the preseason, just keep your head above water until you get Jaron Jackson Jr. back. Now they're going to have to do that for a little while longer without Desmond Bain. But it's, it's definitely a major, major loss for them. And it's going to make things pretty tough. You saw last night against the Pelicans, they struggled, uh, you know, when it wasn't John Morant uh, out there and able to get everything going. They had a hard time finding offense, and I think that may be the way it looks for Memphis for the next few weeks. Uh, Keith Smith's on Twitter, Keith Smith NBA. Find his work there, uh, links to all the good stuff that he uh, uh, covers in the NBA. Keith, thank you. Appreciate it very much. Keith Smith with uh, his weekly NBA visit. Uh, Andrea Adelson's going to talk a little college football with us next. This is Countdown to Bowl Time on the Beat of Sports, presented by Florida Citrus Sports. 
Andrea Adelson's one of uh, the best uh, college football writers and reporters. She'll be appearing at the Orlando Touchdown Club coming up on Monday. If you go to OrlandoTDClub.com, you can learn about her appearance and the remaining schedule. Uh, and we love to talk college football. First, good morning, Andrea. How are you? I'm good, Mark. How are you? I'm good. I'm sorry we begin asking. Uh, I, I, I'm not asking, but I know you're traveling to Charlottesville. Just a horrible, tragic story. Um, and, and Virginia canceling their football game at Coastal Carolina. These are not stories that you like to cover. I would imagine a heavy heart for many as you head up to Charlottesville. Yeah, it's uh, been a devastating week. There's no question about that, Mark. And I had a chance to spend some time with one of the players who was shot and killed, Lavelle Davis Jr., in the spring, and uh, really had some deep, in-depth discussions about what he wanted to do in life and trying to enact some you know, racial and social justice changes on that campus and in the community around him. Just a really inquisitive guy, uh, personable, uh, somebody who wanted to learn and to better himself in that way, and obviously a, a tremendous football player. And uh, the folks that I've talked to uh, in the last few days since his passing have all echoed the same thing, just what a, a great young man he was and what an influence he was to all of those around him. And I know it was the same for the other two players who've passed away. Uh, and I know Virginia's canceled their game on Saturday. There's a lot of uh, heartbreak and devastation right now inside that program, uh, in the university, in that community. And uh, I don't know if that's something that you can ever get over, quite frankly, Mark. Uh, it's just been heartbreaking to have to ask these questions and cover the story. Indeed. No simple transition. So uh, our thoughts and prayers with those up there. Let me ask you about, uh, you know, the ACC you spent a lot of time covering among the national scene. How surprised you about Mike Norbell's success this year? Not that surprised, Mark, although I will say I didn't have them pegged as a possible top uh, 10 win team. I thought that nine and three would be a fabulous season for Florida State. When I sat down with Mike Norrell in the spring, he was adamant, adamant that they were going to have things turned around this year. And so you wonder, is this coach speak? Is he really optimistic? Is what's, what's happening? It's April, right? You, you know how it is when we go to these preseason functions and everyone's got the team chemistry going and everyone's going to have a great season. But Mike has never wavered since April through the fall into the season that this team was going to get things turned around. And I give him a tremendous amount of credit. I give the players a tremendous amount of credit, the staff a tremendous amount of credit, because he laid a foundation. He gave people a reason to believe, and they put in the work. And that was something that was missing before he arrived. There weren't a lot of folks who were putting in the hard work and the effort in the off-season workouts. They were just kind of resting on the accolades. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore at, at Florida State. He's got a team that is together, uh, that has great chemistry, uh, that believes in each other, and is playing at an exceptionally high level right now. When you look at what the offense is doing, the way they're able to run the ball, the transformation of the offensive line from the worst in the ACC to now among the best has been striking this season. And they've made a ton of strides defensively as well. Tatum Bethune, UCF transfer, has been terrific for them this season. They've had several other transfers on defense who've been key players for them. So, you know, Mike Norvell has got the pieces in place. uh, And so uh, there's no question that when you look at Florida State, knowing that people were wondering if he was on the hot seat headed into the year, where they are right now, uh, he's certainly going to be in the mix for ACC Coach of the Year. 
Billy Napier had a lot of uh, uh, coverage when he went to Florida, but Mario Cristobal's arrival was next level, and it looks as if internally things are better in Gainesville than Miami, where Napier seems to be ascending. And Miami could win its final, I guess, three games, but it looks to be a little bit more turmoil uh, down in Coral Gables. Um, What's your sense of what has happened for Mario down there? Well, when you look at Florida, they've had some recent success, right? They went to New Year's Six games under Dan Mullen. Obviously, Kyle Trask was a Heisman finalist. Miami just hasn't had that success, right? At least at Florida, you had some players who understand what it took to win division championships, to play in New Year's Six games, to get 10 win seasons. Miami hasn't had that in how many years, Mark? And so when Mario came in, I understand why there was this optimism surrounding the program because he's the native son and he played at Miami, won championships at Miami, but that has not been a championship culture at Miami in over two decades. Let's be real about that. And so Mario knew when he took over that it was going to take a lot to set the foundation of what it means to be a championship program. I find it to be very similar to what Mike Norvell had to do at the beginning of his tenure there, although Florida State was in worse shape than, than Miami. But the fact is Miami was a team last year that started two and four. They found some magic with Tyler Van Knight, uh, but there were some serious question marks across the board for this team beyond quarterback headed into the season with a change in philosophy on offense and defense, um, not having some key players on the offensive line at receiver. And in the secondary um, has really proven to be uh, something that has really hurt this team. You know, the, the change in offensive scheme in particular with Tyler Van Dyke it just, just doesn't seem to mesh with what he does well, with what Josh Gaddis wants to do. They lost their top receiver early on in the season, and things have been downhill for, for Miami. But I sat down with Mario a few weeks ago, and he, he, he just like Mike Norvell is adamant, Mario is adamant, in time, this will get turned around, and this will be a championship program. But if you're Miami, you just can't lose to teams like Duke and Middle Tennessee and find yourself scraping for bowl appearances. But that's kind of the way it's been for this program over the last 10 years. Two final questions. I'll let you go. I know you're headed to the airport. Um, the business of Jimbo Fisher, and I say that because of the massive contract, because of the yeah. NIL or pay-for-play money, whatever you want to call it, that boosters have put in, it makes it a very unique situation. I'm not quite sure we've ever seen before. But is there a point where the business of Jimbo Fisher is not good for business at Texas A&M? Well, I guess that's a question to the people who might be (laughs) shelling out the money (laughs) to uh, help the business of Texas A&M, right? Um, I feel like if this buyout was cut in half, there would be no question that Jimbo Fisher would probably be on the way out, right? But when you're talking about a buyout in excess of, what, $80 million dollars, it just makes it really hard to stomach that you are just going to pay someone eighty plus million dollars not to coach and oh by the way, whomever you're hiring now to replace him, how much money are you gonna have to outlay for that? And by the way, they're gonna want a big buyout in their contract too, because that's the way things go right now in college athletics. And it makes you scratch your head and wonder what their athletic director was thinking when he gave out the extension and added more money to the buyout. Um, obviously, there was a confidence in Jimbo uh, that, uh, I don't know, seems misplaced right now. And I know if Jimbo were on this show, he would tell you that they've had injuries and uh, other complications that have affected the way that they've played um, because Jimbo always has ways to rationalize when things are going wrong. Um, but 
it, it, it makes you wonder how anybody inside that locker room, the fans, as you mentioned, the business of A&M, can have any confidence moving forward about what's going to happen with this program, you know, top class or not last year, right, when the results have been as um, disappointing uh, as they have been this season. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and make any declarations that Jimbo is coming back. I have no idea what those folks are capable of because the amount of money – uh, that is floating around that program. So to me, I still feel, even though the buyout is so large, I'm going to put that in a wait-and-see column uh, based on, on whatever decisions are, are made among the people that have the money to be able to make those decisions. Um, I threw this out the last couple of days and let you go on this. I understand, and rightfully so, Georgia's number one, and they should win at Kentucky and should beat Georgia Tech and be 12-0. and But what if, and we live in a world of what if sometimes, what if LSU wins, say, 34-21? What if Ohio State-Michigan winner is undefeated, TCU's undefeated, Tennessee's 11-1, LSU would be 11-2, and and UCLA, USC ends the season with wins against UCLA, Notre Dame, and whoever else in the Pac-12 to give you a pretty impressive resume as a conference champ. Do you think there's any 12-1 and scenario that leaves Georgia out? Well, if they don't win, then possibly. Although I guess if you are looking at it in a schedule situation, right, they would have the edge over Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And the way USC has played, I feel as if the committee would give a benefit of the doubt to a one-loss SEC team uh, over a Pac-12 champion. However, it's not as if Georgia's strength of schedule is overly impressive. Because they have not played the difficult teams on the other side uh, of the division, and Georgia Tech is bad, so they're not going to add anything to their strength of schedule. So it'll be very interesting to see how the committee rationalizes the strength of schedule when they have been preaching strength of schedule since the moment they sat down as a committee with a different group of committee members, right? Um, But the Pac-12 has been so devalued, Mark, that it it makes you wonder – uh, how a one-loss Pac-12 champion would be viewed versus a one-loss non-SEC champ that has been number one uh, for a large portion of the season. I can tell you this. I'm glad I'm not in that room having to make that decision uh, because uh, if that's what happens and if that's uh, what comes to the table, I feel like there's going to be uh, a lot of arguing going on in that room. Maybe not. They know they have to reach a consensus, but uh, it might take them a while to get there. Uh, Andrea Adelson is on the Twitter at A. Adelson ESPN. Again, she'll be at the Orlando Touchdown Club on Monday. Go to orlandotdclub.com to learn more. Always a great uh, visit uh, with the club. Andrea, travel safe. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Happy Monday. Andrea sure. Adelson and some good insight on some of the college football stories. I, and somebody stopped me. I said, I'm not anti-Georgia, okay? I think Georgia is going to beat LSU. I'm just saying, and, and Kirk Herbstreet. Well, and, why are you anti-LSU? No, Kirk Herbstreet and then Reese Davis was, like, adamant last night about... Okay, well, Reese was just mad how long it took for them to go to him. Yeah, but he was on the basketball main set as well. But anyway, um, I'm just bringing a scenario... Where, if that happened, could you possibly leave out Georgia, who is number one? And, and okay, I, I'm not arguing that, but if you're going to start crunching schedules and you're going to start going, okay, let me hold this team up versus that team up, uh, I, I think it becomes a very interesting uh, debate because, like I often talk, brand value. Okay, Georgia's the defending national champion. If you're saying, 
the best programs in college football in recent years, they are part of that discussion of not a very long list. It might be just Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, and yes, you could tell me about the Oregon win. Oregon may end up with three losses and may end up being out of the college football playoff committee's top 25 or on the backside of it. And after that, there's the Tennessee game. Yes, that, that's part of the resume. But if you start stacking up some other schools, and if the committee's words matter about conference championships, um, LSU's resume would be 11-2. and two. It would include a win over Georgia. It would include a win against Alabama and Old Miss. And yes, they got blown out by Tennessee. USC, right now you can rip the strength of schedule. But they've got UCLA this week. They've got Notre Dame. And then somebody out of the Pac-12 mix of teams that are in the top 25 now. Not anti-Georgia. I'm just saying everyone that thinks, hey, it doesn't matter what they do in the SEC championship game. They're going to get in. I'm just saying let's see about some of the scenarios that play itself out. And it may become a lot more complicated. And the committee then would have to take a look at some of the analytics that I talked about. And you start comparing strength of schedule, who you beat when you beat, uh, and all that stuff. That's part of the fun of what college football uh, is. Uh, Our good friend Stu Kimball is the president of Southeast Steel. We're so happy to partner with them again this holiday season. Always good catching up to talk to Stu about everything happening. Stu, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Mark. How are you? I'm doing good. All right, Black Friday. We have to wait until Friday after Thanksgiving. We've got Black Friday stuff going on now. Uh, Tell folks about some of the great stuff and some of the exclusive rebates they've got if they come by Southeast Steel. Okay, well, we're on the Black Friday um, program until uh, the end of November. And, of course, Thanksgiving is coming up right around the corner. And if you haven't got your range yet, we do have ranges in stock, which can be delivered before Thanksgiving. Uh, We've got some exclusive rebates. We belong to a national buying group. And because of that, we often get deals that are not available to other uh, dealers. So we have some uh, rebates on some of the major lines when you buy a package up to $800. Uh, we have some in-store financing, 0% interest available. Uh, we have some in-store instant rebates that we're doing on certain brands. So we're really, now's a good time to buy. Things are, prices are, availability is getting better. It's still not where it needs to be, but uh, it's improving. But the good thing, is, you said, Stu, you can come by now. You can still get something delivered before Thanksgiving. As I mentioned, you always have great in-store specials. I ask you this every year when we talk. Uh, look, big box stores are, are, are fine for certain things, but you take great pride in customer service. I want to ask you to talk about why that matters to you after all these years, Stu. Well, we have uh, seven salespeople that work here at Southeast Steel, and these are all people who are specialists in appliances. And uh, appliances are what we do. We don't sell nails. We don't sell cabinets. We don't sell garden equipment. We're appliance people. We know our stuff. We have uh, knowledge and can help people decide what they want to do and how they want to do it. And also the other thing is when you call Southeast Steel, you always get a person. You may get me. You may get my son, Spencer. You may get one of the salesmen. But we all know what we're doing and can help. If you've got a problem with a product, we know how to get it resolved. We're local, been here for 82 years, so, uh, you know, we're the place to go. That's why I love it. Uh, over $3.5 in stock. 
What I also get a kick out of, you know, again, you and I talked about this. If someone hasn't shopped for an appliance recently, Stu, they'd be amazed, right? Now the appliance can tell me what I need these days, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Most of them are Wi-Fi enabled. I'm, yeah, man, I'm an old guy, so I'm, I'm really not into that stuff. But, I mean, some of these, uh, you can set these uh, ranges to come on while you're at work, and by the time you get home, they're cooked your meal and all that sort of stuff. So there's uh, great things uh, in the appliance industry. And, uh, induction cooking is one of the big things where you, uh, it's very fast, very efficient, and uh, something come in the store, we can demonstrate it. It's uh, the new thing. I love when I can get a message that says I'm low on eggs. I mean, that's where we are in 2022. Uh, Southeast still in right. downtown Orlando. Like Stu said, they've been there for years. Uh, great customer service. Black Friday's happening now. Up to $800 rebate on select appliances. Every brand name that you know and love and, and, and respect from GE, Frigidaire, Whirlpool, and more. Please visit them. Go to southeaststeel.net. Stu, thanks. Uh, have a great uh, Thanksgiving week. We'll keep spreading the word, and we'll talk again soon. I appreciate it. All right. Happy holidays. Thanks a lot. There you go. Stu Kimball of Southeast Steel, where you get the best deal. Radio app. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. 11 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJRR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader. Did you know it's draft day today? Did I know what? It's draft day. For apparently the XFL. Yeah, yesterday was the quarterback allotment draft. Today's the what? draft day. What? Who, who's where? Plus, I just learned that Snoop Dogg is going to be putting out Snoop Loops cereal. What's your thoughts? Eh, I'll look at the box. Okay. Wait, who do we have? Who's our quarterback? Who's the Guardians quarterback? Took two guys yesterday. Oh! DeAndre Francois among the two guys we took. Oh, really? FSU. Yeah, stop reading comic books and catch on what's happening here. Yeah. Do you know who the uh, the quarterbacks coach is for the Orlando Guardians? Uh, that would be um... former speaker at the Orlando Touchdown Club, known as Shane Matthews. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that. Oh, don't say it like that. Well, I I I didn't know because I didn't answer. But the minute you said that, I remember that he was hired. Yeah. What pick do we have? I've got a lot of questions. I... You seem to have the answers. What rock have you been under, man? Oh, uh, that, I'm, I'm sorry. There's not a lot of coverage of... of, of well, uh, maybe uh, you know, on your timeline, there's not a lot of coverage. Some of us are ready to roll. Some of you are what? So, uh, okay. You know who else got picked yesterday? Ben DiNucci was picked yesterday. Why does that name sound familiar? Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback Ben DiNucci? Oh, yeah, that's right. What are you talking about? <laughs> Jalen Brunson had 25 points and 8 assists as the Knicks beat the vaunted Utah Jazz 118-111 to on Tuesday night and handed the Jazz their first home loss of the season. Anthony Rizzo, former Temple and Michigan State quarterback, was taken uh, yesterday. He just signed a deal to... San Antonio Brahmas. He just re-upped a deal with the Yankees. What are you talking about? Mm -mm. You just said Anthony Rizzo. Oh, Russo. Sorry. Oh, I was like... Russo. Cam Reddish scored at 19. R.J. Barrett had 18, and Julius Randle had 15 for the Knicks, who shot 47% from the field in their third road win of the season. Ben DiNucci's with the Seattle Sea Dragons. Yeah! A.J. McCarron at 32 is going to try to give it a go um, with the St. Louis Battlehawks. 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just talking about your Knicks getting to 500. That's a statement. That is a statement win. That's a statement win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a big one. For and me. I'm convinced at some point the Jazz will just play with four players. You know, out the there. draft is in Las Vegas. Of course it is. At the UFC Apex facility, which is actually not in Vegas. You're going to drive out a ways to get there. Is there a Vegas team in the XFL? Huh? Is there a Vegas team in the XFL? There was one. Well, I'm asking. I don't think so. So they're just there for no particular reason? By the way, it's a snake-style format. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that a and lot. it's broken down into groups. So, like, like you draft... Uh, uh, Tight ends. Offensive skill position. Okay. Then defensive backs. Then defensive front seven. Uh, then offensive line. Is there like a wild card draft then too? Whatever you want to pick. Um, Hold on. I'm wrong. It's the Vegas Vipers. Okay. Uh, probably 96% of the audience is yelling, you left out the Vipers. So there used to be the Tampa Vipers. That's correct. In XFL 2.0, right. but now in XFL 3.0... They're and in the... USFL, the Bandits have become the Memphis Showboats. Oh. Yeah. There were no changes to the top... I'm of on the I... official site right now. Well, what pick do we have? I don't know. I'm looking at merch. Yeah? What do we got? T-shirts. Does it all look the same? Sweatshirts. Ooh, how about Orlando Guardian jogging pants? Okay, how much? 50 bucks. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Go ahead. There were no changes to the top five in the college football playoff selection committee's third ranking on Tuesday night, with number one Georgia, number two Ohio State, number three Michigan, and number four TCU holding steady as the nation's only remaining undefeated. See that teams. email that Elon sent out to the staff. Extremely hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. It basically saying be prepared to work hardcore level. Click here mm-hmm. if you can't. Then here's three months severance. Yes. Mind you, he's now rehiring people he fired on his first day. Yeah. So things are going well? Sure. Go ahead. Followed by number five, Tennessee. After a 66-24 thumping of unranked Missouri, the Vols remained the committee's highest-ranked one-loss team, keeping them in contention for the playoff without winning their division. Georgia clinched the SEC East and will face number six, LSU, the highest-ranked two-loss team in the SEC championship game. If LSU wins its conference, it could make history as the first two-loss team to reach the college uh, college football playoff. Uh, update Paolo Bancaro out for tonight's game against the Timberwolves. Wendell Carter Jr. is a game-time decision. <sighs> Left ankle sprain for Paolo. Two loss Alabama is number eight ahead of its uh, ahead of one loss number nine Clemson, which will play number thirteen North Carolina in the ACC championship game. Following its thirty eight thirty one win at Tulane, number twenty UCF is the Group of Five leader to earn a bid to a New Year's Six bowl as the highest ranked conference champion, followed by number twenty one Tulane. So UCF beats Tulane and they. Didn't really move up. Move up to spot. Tulane's behind you. Yeah. But they're right there. What they're right, like? What's going on here? Looking at the uh, fan zones in uh, Qatar, these little. Did you see the video? Did you see the video of the Danish reporter that? Uh... That'll be coming up uh, when we introduce Declan Hill later. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, how about this? Buck Showalter was named the National League Manager of the Year, becoming just the third person to win a fourth award and the first to win with four different franchises. It's actually pretty impressive. Right? Yeah. That's, that's actually pretty it cool. Yeah. Uh, Terry Francona. Buck Showalter last smiled in 1977. Terry Francona won it for the uh, American League. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers thinks it's time for the NFL to mandate that all games be played on natural grass surfaces, but he doesn't have high hopes that will happen. Quote, no, honestly, I don't have a lot of confidence when it comes to the league making that decision without sort of big vote and grapes from certain owners who don't want to spend the money. This isn't the first time Rodgers has spoken out on player safety issues. He was against the expansion to 17 games in 2021. What did you make of the report that came out over the weekend about the Players Association saying that I think it was like five or six fields like is an? Well, un- they were upset about the field in Germany. They're what they were also upset about that. But this came this report came in on Saturday. Yeah, I I I, I don't know, and I guess I could and should look this up. Do do the players have a representative uh, that is at? the site of a game mm-hmm. that has input on the playing condition of the field. I don't know. Now, I, I don't think you have the ability of stopping a game, mm-hmm. but does the Players Association have somebody that goes, hey, this is why we think this field was not safe. Maybe mm-hmm. there is somebody that does that. Um, I, again, I wouldn't care if, it, if the league rule was to go to all grass. There are some challenges at places that are full domes. Yeah, obviously. You know, um, I mean, I guess it can be done, but there's a little bit of back and forth on this is, okay, and then are you going to complain when it's mid-January and a key playoff game is being played on a grass field that at mm. some point we can't cover? Yeah. I mean, and it it's not the same plush green grass that you think you're going to be playing on in August. Mm-hmm. And then someone goes, well, it was basically just dirt. Okay, well, that's... Sometimes what are you going to get? And lastly, New York City officials have reached an agreement to build the city's first professional soccer stadium in Queens. The 25,000-seat stadium will be home for... My lawn guy yesterday. Yeah? You know, you strike a little conversation. You know, guy's doing good work around the house, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And he's asking about the storm and any damage. I said, you know, just a lot of debris. And, you know, the last storm I had part of one of my oak trees fell mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And uh, and I said, yeah, a lot of debris. And then I point up to one of the big oak trees. And then for some reason, we're both standing there just kind of looking up. And I, I'm kind of thinking, we're kind of done here. And then he's just kind of looking up like, yeah. Like, am I supposed to do something? And he mm-hmm. goes, you know, you can cut it down. I'm like. Who am I, Paul Bunyan here? What do you mean I'm going to cut it down? The tree's like 150 years old. Yeah. And we're just standing there. And my thought is, I got nothing else to add here. We're done. What are we doing? So we need to get you a chainsaw. (laughs) Ain't no chainsaw. You knock that tree down. Someone needs a week to do that. (laughs) Uh, The... New York City Football Club uh, will be about the this? host. Uh, it's expected to be completed NYCFC. in 2027. With a price tag of? $780 million to build the privately funded Easily state. will double if they actually build it. The thing is, how many times have we heard NYCFC 
Inter Miami. They've found a. New... I would bet on them first, though. But between that's five years. Oh, it takes a while to get something done in New York. Yeah. So they will be. It will be their twelfth year in the league, and they will finally potentially have their own home. By the bet today, I, I think they have a better chance in Miami. Miami has a stadium. Lockhart Stadium. Yeah, Drive Pink Stadium. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it on the news. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. This is a five-star segment. Just go there and leave us a five-star rating. Back to you, Mark. I don't even know what that means. Um, it means it's a five-star segment. World Cup begins in a couple of days. It might be the most corrupt event ever, which isn't saying much for FIFA. That story coming up in a bit with Scott Scott Movie Wednesday next. Time for Movie Wednesday, boys and girls. What is happening on the big screen or your handheld device to watch your favorite movies? Don't watch movies uh, on handheld devices. Would you wish they brought like that back when the movie was about to start? Like if that played every time. Yeah. There's no question, hey, it's previews are done, let's get serious, right? Yeah. yeah. Would you watch it on a plane? Uh previews. On the airline, you know, uh-huh. it, it's not new movies, so they're like thirty like Lilo and Stitch. Oh, Lilo and Stitch is good. The Avengers. I like the Avengers. Um, so I just sat and watched a bunch of the trailers. On the way up, on the way back, I was, you know, we were just talking about the game and everything. Mm. Well, the box office roared back to life over the weekend with the long-awaited release of Black Panther, Wakanda, Wakanda Forever. The Marvel sequel earned... <clears throat> Got choked up over there. Right there, Okay, Sparky. Earned $180 million in ticket sales in the U.S. and Canada, making it the second second biggest opening of the year behind Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Overseas, it brought in an additional $150 million, putting its worldwide total at $330 million, a.k.a. it's already grossed more in one weekend worldwide than Black Adam has. And Black Adam's been out for six weeks. Okay. So. Doing well. It's doing very well. Ozzy Osbourne said he wants an unknown actor to play him in the forthcoming biopic about him and his wife Sharon's life. Uh, He confirmed... Uh, back in 2020, that a movie was in the works. It will focus on Ozzy and Sharon's relationship between 1979 and 1996. The writer of uh, the Elton John biopic, Rocket Man, is penning the script for the project. Ozzy said, quote, I don't want to have anyone like Johnny Depp act as me. I'd rather have someone who is relatively unknown. Mm. Did you see Rocket Man? Yeah. What'd you think? Pretty good. Yeah, didn't mind it. Do you like Bohemian Rhapsody? Um, I I watched. I don't think it was great, but it was. You know, I didn't turn it off. How about this biopic? Are you interested in Universal Pictures developing a biopic about Snoop Dogg? 
Why? I'm I, I'm watching the real life story still <laughs> develop. Joe Robert Cole, who has written the first two Black Panther films, along with Ryan Co- uh, uh, Ryan Coogler, will write the script. Alan Hughes, who directed Menace to Society, is attached to. My problem direct. with these is, and I, you know, like myself, I hope Snoop Dogg lives many, many more years. When when the real thing is still so much the public spotlight, when you do a movie like that, it, it's hard to believe whoever plays that role, you know? So Well, that's been one of the things. So Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven on Stranger Things, uh-huh. there's been this like, oh, she sh- if they should make a Britney Spears biopic and she should play her. And Britney Spears would be like, I'm still alive. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, Although, what's she doing? Yeah. The thing is, though, you know what movie, what biopic I did really like is the Straight Outta Compton movie. Oh, I saw that movie. I thought that one was very yeah, well done. Sure. Yeah. All right. You want to talk Vin Diesel? Duh. Do you want to know Vin Diesel's real name? I think we did this before. What is it? Mark Sinclair. Yeah. Uh, he has a twin brother named Paul Vincent, uh, and he was raised by an astrologer mother. Hmm. Did you hear about the story about how he got the role in Saving Private Ryan? No. He wrote a three-page letter to Steven Spielberg expressing his admiration for his work, particularly Schindler's List. Spielberg was impressed with uh, the heartfelt prose, prompting him to invite Diesel to join the cast of Saving Private Ryan. Mm, okay. All right, so you contend that uh, he's just known for these these action Fast and Furious franchise movies. Correct. But in addition to Boiler Room, he's got some other movies. Okay. You want uh, names and guess the plot, or you want plots and guess the names? I like plot and I'll guess the name. The wannabe sons of mobster, mobsters go to a remote town in the Midwest and get themselves into more trouble than anyone could anticipate. Look the other way. Knock around, guys. All right. You know who wrote this movie? No. Uh, Brian Koppelman, who wrote oh, uh, wow. Rounders yeah. in Your Billions. Wow. How many years ago was this? This was 2000. Oh, all right. Having recovered from wounds received in a failed rescue operation, Navy SEAL Shane Wolf is handed a new assignment. Protect the five plumber kids from enemies of the recently deceased father, a government scientist whose top-secret experiments remain in the kid's house. Undercover protection. I like that. Thank you. The pacifier. Oh. Uh-huh. In the late 1980s, a low-level gangster defends himself in court in what becomes the longest criminal trial in American judicial history. A.K.A. Find me guilty. Oh. He wore a wig. Ah. A.K.A. like, you know, the mob mob guy's got another name or something. Sidney Lumet directed that movie. Okay. The Last Witch Hunter is all that stands between humanity and the combined forces of the most hor- uh, horrifying witches in history. Powers from above. You're going to be annoyed. It's what is it? The Last Witch Hunter. Oh, okay. Ray Garrison, a slave soldier, is reanimated with superpowers. Who am I? Bloodshot. <laughs> Sounds like a Sean Clyde Von Damme. The thing is, that movie came out... I think it was like March 5th, 2020. For some people, this is the last movie they saw in theaters. Oh, that's a theaters. recent movie? Yes. Oh. It's the last movie some people saw in theaters. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Diesel or Diesel's cashing does. in. Well, I, I'm i not knocking the franchise. It's just, there's, there, there's, there's no act. 
anything in those movies. <laughs> there's nothing. I mean, there's no depth of character. There's nothing at all. It's the same stuff. Mark, dude gets is. paid bank to say, I am Groot in Marvel movies. I almost have more respect for that than just the same stuff. But, uh, again, at some point, you believe you're the character that you play in these franchises, and, you know. Well, you know, he he, he left the, fan, the, the Fast Triple franchise. Triple X wasn't a big success. They made three. He was only in two of them. No, the the crazy one is, so he does Fast and Furious 1. He doesn't do Too Fast, Too Furious. They invite him to make a cameo in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. He agrees to do it on the condition that Universal Studios gives him the rights to the Pitch Black franchise. Mm. So he does that cameo just so he can make more Pitch Black Chronicles of Riddick movies. Mm. Like, you mock him, but he's like... Kind of smart when it comes to being a businessman. Or he surrounds himself with good people. Or that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, again, I'm sure he's made a lot of money over the years. And guess how old he is? Uh, f- 53. 57. Okay. All right. He's that in the it? plus 50 category. Yeah, he is. Right. <laughs> Is that it? That's it. No. See you at the movies. There you go. That's a uh, uh, movie... Wednesday. Magic basketball in action tonight. The Minnesota Timberwolves will be in town to take on the boys. Uh, pre-game at 6.30. Tip is set for 7 o'clock. Trying to snap that two-game losing streak. Unfortunately, no Paolo Boncaro available for the Magic tonight out with that ankle injury. When we come back, it's just days before the largest sporting event in the world and maybe the most controversial World Cup ever. We'll explain next. Our Daniels of Sports, we're brought to you by our good friends at Florida Citrus Sports. Florida Blue Florida Classic is uh, coming uh, to town, and uh, you can learn more by logging on to floridacitrussports.com uh, about the matchup with Florida A&M with Thune Cookman, not just the game, but all the other events that take place uh, in relation to uh, the game. By the way, the College Football Playoff Management Group, that's the presidents and chancellors, the ones that gave you the 12-team playoff, when the board couldn't, uh, that group, according to Nicole Arbach of the Athletic, meeting today uh, at some point to discuss again plans for 2024 and what to do with the Rose Bowl. Who wants to keep its New Year's Day five o'clock slot? And then the bigger thing, which I have said for months, once they announce a 12-team playoff, would be the ability or or the challenge of distributing revenue. Um, that, as she reports, one to two conferences are suggesting a different model of revenue distribution. You can figure out the one to two conferences. That would be the Big Ten and the SEC, who everybody should have assumed going into these discussions would say, hey, we don't want to split the money evenly as we've done the present contract that we're growing to 16 teams, so we want uh, more money. And I, whatever they settle on, I don't know, but I don't think anybody's shocked by that. Now, getting to <clears throat> getting to a model that everyone's happy with, that's not easy. 
Because you could sit there and be in the um, in the Big 12 and say, okay, well, how big of a piece of the pie you want? And if they say, well, we want this much, the answer could be, so you're assuming that you're going to get X number of teams in every single year. What do you do in the years that you don't get those? Like if you're the SEC going, well, you know, our conference champion will get in. We project that we think we'll get three other teams. We'll get four in every single year because that's who we are. Then you come back and go, what happens if in a year you're only worthy of two teams getting in? Which then may lead to a model that rewards conferences based on the number of teams that they get in, which some don't like because then you're basically having some teams play games that could be worth $50 million based on the outcome. But that sometimes may be the reality of it. So that is where they may end up going with this. But that group will meet sometime today, according to The Athletic, and continue their discussion regarding um, a 12-team playoff in uh, college football. And it's it'll be an interesting battle in uh, the weeks and months ahead. But, but I don't think anybody's shocked that those two conferences want a larger piece of the pie. And Someone's going to tell them what the pie, is, the value of the pie is, and then they'll, they'll fight. It's always about money, right? Everybody ends up fighting about money, so they'll fight. Uh, by the way, tomorrow, the Board of Regents in California has an agenda, and on the uh, list of items on the agenda is discussion about UCLA. You may have read some of this, that it's possible the Board of Regents could block the move of UCLA to the Big Ten. There was some media coverage yesterday about the uh, survey that the University of California's Board of Regents office, which oversees all the state schools, including UCLA, USC is a private school, did survey uh, the athletes at UCLA. Not everybody responded, but it did survey athletes at UCLA about the uh, concerns, travel, and and what matters to them. And and a couple things stood out. One, yeah, the issue over travel was something that stood out. It also proved when George Klavkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, said he hasn't met one person that's in favor of the move, that either A, he was lying, or B, just kind of threw out a general statement, because that's not exactly accurate based on the survey results that they have. Um, That'll be an interesting meeting tomorrow to see, other than airing it out and saying, hey, is this move in the best interest about the athletes? And in the document that UCLA gave the California Board of Regents, it does kind of peel some things back. Potential shared charters with USC, uh, the importance to UCLA athletes of competing in a league with USC, projected travel costs, Within people started to do the math and goes, well, you know, it might be a wash because if UCLA stays and the TV contract could be worth $40 million, and if you take the $10 million in travel, it's basically a wash, and anybody can do f- funny math. There is no financial model based on the real projected numbers in the Big Ten for what they're going to pay. There's no, th- th- there is no model that shows staying in the Pac-12 is a better financial move for UCLA. Now, they may be able to block it as a state university, but there is no model 
that would say, yeah, it's better financially. The projected numbers of the Big Ten, when you average it out over the new contract, not the beginning, when you average it out, it is, well, the beginning, it's $70 million. Then it gets to 80 and $90 million. UCLA staying in the Pac-12 might get their media deal to near $40 million. And then you go, well, but it's $10 million in travel. Okay, and maybe that's accurate. 70 and 80 minus the numbers that you make. It still is twenty a minimum of $20 million more. But I'm not the one that would have a vote in it. But there's no financial model that anybody can tell you um, it's better for them to stay in the Pac-12. You can make the argument about the history, about the regionality of it. And there is there is the factor of travel. And I I say this being very fortunate sometimes to get on charters to go call a basketball game, uh, that it, it, it helps, but there's still long flights, man. <laughs> you gotta, you know, get on a plane from Los Angeles to Iowa or to Michigan or to New Jersey if you're playing Rutgers or to Maryland. Um it adds up. Yeah, but you're on a charter plane. It it, it still adds up. I mean it's nice it to doesn't make the, it doesn't make the trip shorter when you're on a charter. No, I mean you don't have to wait for the drink cart to go 30 rows. It, it, it might get you quicker, but it still it's, is... <laughs> it's the same distance. It still is the same uh, distance. So, anyway, uh, the Magic uh, uh, play tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves as the team tries to snap a two-game losing streak. Um, I was listening to Brandon yesterday, and he was discussing with Tazi, and, and I, actually, I, I listened to the piece that they put up on, on their podcast about should... The media and should everybody kind of demand more of the magic regarding the injuries to players and when they're coming back. And I brought it up to Keith Smith, who was on with us for his weekly visit. And I've said, and again, Paddle is out tonight for the magic. There is no question, not just the Orlando Magic, the entire NBA, and I think all across in sports, there's a greater gray area about announcing the injury and projected return time for players from injury. Now, the magic over the years, and even if you just take the last couple of years, with the injuries to Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz are going to be a little bit overprotective when somebody's out to give you a time frame of when they're going to be back. And... I guess at times it it doesn't bother me because I've just come to accept that tell me the day that Jonathan Isaac plays again and I'll be happy for him that he comes back and plays. But Markel Fultz, the thought was, all right, he had this toe injury, he's going to miss a little bit of time, and okay, I mean, now we're up to 14 games, not 40 games, but it's 14 games. Um, And Gary Harris and... Because the Magic have been in the position in recent years of being at the bottom of the league in standings, and whatever you want to put the word up there of tanking, or you end up making assumptions like why certain guys miss games and why they're on a longer period of time and all that stuff. I don't know what you can do to change the rule. It's frustrating. Forget the media. It's frustrating for a fan that wonders... Can you at least give me an idea? And yet the team's like, well, yeah, but if I tell you on this date, and what if they don't play? And part of me is, okay, well, then just 
update us when you know. Meaning, if you say someone's going to be back on November 20th, and then on November 19th, you're like, a little bit slower than we thought, it may be another week. I can understand both sides, but I do get the frustration. And it is now growing across the NBA. Because, not just the, hey, I don't want to say when someone's coming back, because it could be a lot longer. In an era now of whatever we call it, you know, game management or night off, whatever it is, it's just now accepted. Even though Adam Silver, the league, had made efforts to go, look, you know, the day off thing, got to give me a real reason. Uh, The back-to-back, we kind of eliminated that a little bit. But, you know, the the rest or management, whatever we labeled it, it's gotten a little ridiculous. And at first, the league was more concerned about national TV games. And then I think they heard a lot of feedback from fans like, hey, I get it. The ticket's expensive, but so-and-so just taking the night off. Or he's got this injury, that injury. It's easy to put that out there. And I, I... I don't think the Magic are fudging on injuries to guys that aren't available. I just understand the frustration of Magic fans and fans of other teams that these days, there's nothing that requires a team to tell you. And what's the penalty? I I don't know what the best system is. Like, I can't say if a team says, so-and-so's got this injury, he's out six to eight weeks. If the player's not back in eight weeks, I, what... What should the penalty be? I don't know that, but I I do believe that now it's just teams say nothing. Say nothing. I mean, you might learn what the injury was. Uh, You might get uh, a video clip of someone doing a drill after practice and kind of tease you that, you know, they may be coming back. But in Orlando, I think they've just made the decision in the last couple of years because of guys like Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz we're just not going to do it. Well, I mean, we'll come up with the same answer when it's asked about uh, making progress, getting better. I don't want to pinpoint a time because, you know, that wouldn't be fair to all parties. And again, I don't know what the best system is. I do understand the frustration. I mean, <laughs> you watch the team right now with a lack of guard. And actually, the the, the faults... And the Isaac injuries, I don't even, I mean, I count them, but who's waiting for that one? That'll be... No, no, no. we're waiting We're waiting for one of them because he said he stubbed his toe. Okay, but uh, I understand that. That's the baddest... Like, fr- well, the Cole Anthony one was supposed to be, well, he, he might miss a week or so, and now that that's dragged on here. And maybe it was more serious than we thought. All of them are frustrating and, at this and point. And with Gary Harris, you thought. and Gary Harris, the injury that just popped up out of nowhere? And it's not the difference of them being 10 and 4, but when your roster is void of experience at guard and you're asking guys that are not point guards to play minutes there, that's how you end up losing games like you lost to Charlotte. So that that is frustrating. And I don't know what the resolution uh, to that is. Catch the Magic tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Pre-game at 6.30, tip is set for uh, 7 o'clock right here. Come back with a couple of items and notes and quotes and wrap it up next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off-the-wall stories. Trends. That's the craziest thing I've heard. A couple of items of uh, notes and quotes before we get out of here and call it uh, a day. (sighs) Scott mentioned earlier the Yankees get Anthony Rizzo back. Yeah. Um... 
By the way, I, I don't angry know. Angry customers, by the way, suing uh, FTX this morning. Yeah, good luck getting anything back on that. What? There's, they don't have any money for you to get. Yeah. Um, where do you think uh, Judge ends up? Yankees. You think so? Yeah. Not the Giants? They'll flirt with the Giants, but no, Yankees. Prediction on the deal? Uh, eight years, 450. How do you feel about that? I don't like the eight years, but, you know, worry about that later. Swifty fans crashed the Ticketmaster uh, site. Yes, because Ticketmaster's never handled an on sale before. How does this keep ha- How does this happen? Me, you're asking? I, I can't help you on that. Uh, I told you this is a this is a fascinating tour though because she's released four albums since the last time she's toured. Yeah. So it's definitely it's how do you weigh the new stuff and the hits that people want to hear? Spain and France, the mm-hmm. next two countries, the NFL is expected to send regular season games to. Cool. Um. Madrid is really interested. Hmm. At their uh, stadium. Barcelona would also like a a game there. 99,000 with the increase expected there. Oh, Camp Nou? Wow. Um, And, of course, Paris would like to host an NFL game. Again, the the league's making money and doing a lot of research on the European market. A lot of research. And it's paying off for them. Uh, Artemis launched this morning. It's awesome. It's awesome. Man, what a what a sight. Powerful stuff taken off there. And uh, if you missed it live, you can go watch. A lot of the videos have been put out there. Um, can I read some Magic Johnson tweets really, really quickly? Oh, sure. Super win for my MSU Spartans over the number four ranked Kentucky Wildcats. It was a total team victory. Jerry Hauser finished with 20 points and eight rebounds. Malik Hall with 20 points and five rebounds. Maddie Sissoko with 16 points and nine rebounds. Tyson Walker played outstanding down the stretch in both regulation and overtime, finishing with 14 points and six assists. MSU's coach Izzo showed why he's not only one of the top three college coaches right now. He showed why he's one of the greatest college coaches in history. His outstanding play calls coming out of timeouts led us to the 86-77 victory. He wrote that, Mark. He wrote that. How many many tweets was that? That was three. Uh, Tom is 067. Mm -hmm. Last time he looked like he was 87. Great coach. I'm not Questioning Tom Izzo's greatness as a coach, but Daniels calls out Izzo. No, no, I hope he's doing okay. Just, I mean, maybe he was warned from the game, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was the game that went double overtime and delayed the release of the college football playoff rankings. Which, what does Tom Izzo care? Um, and John Calipari's got a good team, bunch of young guys out there. Though both those teams will get better as the year uh, goes along. Uh, that's it for us uh, today. Thursday edition of our program uh, coming up uh, tomorrow. Great history lesson. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. We're celebrating something that uh, uh, when we get to the story, people will go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember. That'll be tomorrow's program. Missed any of today's stuff, log on to UCF, uh, to, to UCF, to, to 96ofthegame.com. You can go on to UCF. Yeah, you can go there. Nights.com. And uh, get the show on demand. 
and uh, go to where you get your favorite podcasts and just type in the beat of sports, all right? Enjoy your day. See you tomorrow for Thursday edition of our program. Scott produced on Mark Daniels, the beat of sports. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.